that its value system is the one to follow. Next, we talked about the importance of allowing God to transform our minds and from there, our lives. And then last week, we, we spoke about receiving truth from God's Word, seeing the value of it, and treasuring it while both holding on to it and giving it away. And today, as we close out this series, I believe standing firm in our faith has to include a most important four-letter word, and that is love. Once we have done all those other things that we've talked about over the past three weeks, then we have to love what matters the most. Several years ago, when my dad was first diagnosed with Alzheimer's, Ruthie and I made some decisions. After doing some research, I realized that things were going to change, not for the better, over the next however many years. With that in mind, we chose to spend as much time with my dad as we possibly could. I always spent a lot of time, but we went even further than that. And it started with going there every night after we got off work and making sure that both my mom and dad were eating, and then we would leave and go home, sometimes 8, 8.30. As my dad's health declined, even with Doris there full-time, doing all she could do, it just wasn't enough. So we started going by there every night after work, cooking dinner, eventually having to feed him, help getting to the bathroom, and then help him get in bed. And that went on for many, many years a lot of years, until he passed away last January. All of those years, we didn't go to restaurants. We tried a few times, but too many times we would order our food and get a phone call, and I've had to get up out of a chair at a table and just give them money and say, we got to go, and we didn't eat the food, so we just quit going to restaurants. We didn't go on vacations. In fact, we didn't do much of anything except work, and then take help, take help take care of my mom and dad, or help my mom and Doris take care of my dad. Now, I don't say that to brag. Instead, I say that to say this. This was a decision that we made, and it required us to say no to most everything else. All so we could spend quality time with one of the most important people in my life, my dad. And in doing so, here's what I want us to see. In doing that, I grew to love my dad even more than I already did. In a similar way, the Bible talks about the importance of choosing to spend time with God in order to grow in our love of God. And if we will choose that, if we will choose to do that, we will be drawn closer to God than we are the things of the world. Much in the same way, I, I could have found reasons not to spend time with my dad. I could have said, I'm busy, I've got a business to run, I want to live my life and enjoy it, I want to do what I want to do, and on and on. In living for God, we could do the same thing. We can always find things in life that we choose to do instead of putting God first in our lives. Things that if we don't get them in check will eventually allow us to be drawn away from God and towards the world. In short, we can choose to love the things of the world as opposed to choosing to love what matters. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. 
This is the Apostle John writing, and, and here's what he has to say about this, this, this particular concept. Do not love this world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world only offers a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and the pride of achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. John talks about a, a craving here in this passage. There are other translations that use the word lust or desire, and they all mean the same thing. But he says, we are tempted to crave the things of the world. As we have established in this sermon series earlier, the things of the world are enticing. And if we try to say differently, we are setting ourselves up for certain failure. The things of the world are, are attractive. If they weren't, there'd be, there wouldn't be as many people out there chasing after them. But while the things of the world might be attractive and would try to draw us in that direction, the choice as to whether or not we choose to give into that draw, to that lust, that desire, or as John put it here, that craving, the choice is up to us. With that in mind, I believe the first step to loving what matters is to correct the crave. We've already highlighted several different worldly desires in this series, but John names cravings for us that have to do with the flesh, specifically things of the flesh. For example, the first thing he mentions is physical pleasure. Maybe you can relate to that one immediately. Years ago, I heard Pastor Carl Strader say something in a sermon that went along this same line of thought, and I've remembered it all of these years. Here's what he said. He said, it's one thing to be driving down the road, glance over at that pretty girl in really short shorts riding a bicycle. But it's a whole different situation if you take the next right and keep circling the block time and time again to look at her over and over. That's the difference. Oh, pastor, I would never do that. Okay. Maybe it would be this. You're tempted to respond to a lustful feeling that comes your way every time you start scrolling the internet. You know, when you're tempted to, to make a right-hand turn and keep going back to that same website, the one that fulfills you physically for a few minutes, and then at some point controls your life and turns into a way of life. The truth is, the desire for physical intimacy and connection are not wrong desires. There's nothing wrong with those feelings. But John says, when we are often tempted to fulfill, we are often tempted to fulfill those desires in the wrong place. And when we do that, when we fulfill those things in the wrong way, in the wrong place, then it becomes sin. The next thing that John lists is everything we see around us. The NIV translation of the Bible describes this as the lust of the eyes. And as we have said through this series, many of the things of the world, even though they're diametrically opposed, completely opposite to the Word of God, they look attractive to us at first glance. But just as it is with physical pleasure, the sin of craving the things of what we see around us starts with a look. And if it stopped there at that look... That would be one thing. But too many times, it doesn't just stop with a look, and that leads to sin. 
there's a couple of categories here that while they're both under the big umbrella of everything we see, one is more subtle than the other. Here's the first, obvious sin. And here's what I mean. I know this example is going to sound pretty simple, but I'm a pretty simple kind of guy, so bear with me. You walk into a bank, and you see this huge stack of money being either transferred in or out of the bank. And while we might look at that and say, boy, I'd like to have that, that is not a sin. I'd like to have a big stack of money. But if we go home and start planning a bank heist, then all of a sudden it turns into sin. And let me add this disclaimer. If you choose to follow through with your bank heist, that too is a sin, not just planning it. And it all started with something we saw. It all started with a look. So robbing a bank would be an obvious sin. We saw something we wanted. We decided we'd try to get it regardless of the cost. But then there is something I think is far more dangerous. And again, this is pretty simple. And that is the not-so-obvious sin. Here's what I mean by that. We start looking around at what other people have. We become discontent. They have more money. They have a newer car. They have a bigger house. They have nicer clothes. And to us, their stuff looks way better than our stuff. Now, unlike the bank robber that we just talked about, this person doesn't go and steal their neighbor's stuff. Another disclaimer here. If you do go steal your neighbor's stuff, then that goes back to the obvious sin thing. Don't do that. While we might not commit that obvious sin of going and stealing our neighbor's stuff, we become obsessed with getting better stuff than our neighbor. And too many times that will lead us to say, I will do whatever it takes, whatever I have to do, to get something they have or something even better. That, too, is the lust of the eyes that John wrote about. And often what started out as a look eventually transfers into, I'll sacrifice my family life, I'll sacrifice my wife, my kids, my parents to get what I want. And then far too many times it translates into, I'll sacrifice my walk with God, my church attendance, my involvement in ministry, my fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ to get what I want. And before we know it, we find ourselves loving the things of the world more than loving the things of God, more than we love the things that matter. Now, before somebody rolls their eyes and says, oh boy, here he goes again, talking about why it's so important to be at church. Before you head down that road, let me stop you and clarify something. Again, just coming to church will not save you. That's not what I'm saying. But while it will not save us, we still need to do it. We need to worship. We need to be involved in ministry. We need the fellowship of other believers. We need to hear, hear the Word of God preached and taught. Now, let me also say that I know that we have people here at High Point Church who work shift work in hospitals and other medical-related fields. There's others who work shift work, and that's just the nature of their job. And because of that, they can't always be here every Sunday or every Wednesday night. I'm not talking about those folks. 
Instead, what I'm talking about here is the person who says, I want what I want, and I will do whatever it takes, short of robbing a bank, to get what I want. And too many times, the words, oh, pastor, I have to work this Sunday, actually doesn't mean I have to work this Sunday. It means I have to work not just this Sunday, but every Sunday and every Wednesday too. And that translates to, I know I said I had to work this Sunday, but truthfully, I chose to work because working on Sunday paid me more than working some other days. But I had to do it because if I don't, I'm never going to get better stuff than my neighbor has. So if I can't come to church, then that's just what I'm going to do. Why? To get stuff? Too many times it translates to, I took this job knowing it would keep me away from my family. And then we wonder why we have family problems. It translates to, I took this job knowing it would take me away from church. And then we wonder why we suffer spiritually. But we justify it by saying, but if I'm going to get those things I see, if I want to get those things I want, those things my neighbor has, then that's the price that I'm willing to pay. We might try to justify it by adding this. After all, once I have everything I see and I want, I can fix my family situation, and then I can get really serious about living for God. Let me say this, and please listen. That rarely, if ever, happens. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, that we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well, instead of the other way around. He didn't say seek after the things, and then once you get those, then look to God. But too many times we get that twisted. You see, the things we wanted weren't in and of themselves sin. Where it turned to sin is when we're, where we put those things above everything else and neglected to love what matters. The next thing John listed is pride in our achievements and possessions. For you, maybe, maybe your desire is to be famous, to have people know your name. There are a lot of people in our society whose goals in life are not to work hard, accomplish goals, and be successful, but instead just to be famous. I've seen interviews with people. What do you want to do to grow? I want to be famous. How are you going to get there? I don't know. Don't care. And why is that? Because they've seen it over and over that there are people who became famous not for their accomplishments, but instead for doing things that not long ago would have been at best considered scandalous or at worst would have put you in jail. But now it just makes you famous. Again, we're talking about the values of the world versus the values from the Word of God. And yet, that is their goal in life. And let me add this. Far too many times their parents are right there with them, encouraging them the whole way to get famous. That's why we have reality shows on television that involves 16-year-olds 
And the whole show is I'm pregnant and 16. And you get to be famous for that. And unfortunately, there's far too many Christians will sit in front of their television and watch that nonsense. Well, Pastor David, you just need to slow down there. Where are our values? I will tell you that fame, if that's what you're headed for and that's what your desire in life is, fame looks much more glamorous usually before someone has it than it is after they get it. How many child stars, celebrities, social media influencers, and athletes do we have to see crash and burn before we realize that being famous is not the answer to life's problems? Once again, let me say that there is nothing wrong with being famous. There is nothing wrong with having possessions until we find ourselves seeking after fame and possessions at whatever the cost and completely forgetting or choosing not to love what matters. Well, Pastor, if you're right, then tell me what matters. Okay. Here's what I know. Since God is eternal, and he has seen people go after the wrong thing since the beginning of time, we can be assured that he knows once we get something like fame and status and the things that often go along with that, he knows that those things will not ultimately fulfill or satisfy us. There is only one thing that will satisfy that craving for deep abiding intimacy and connection, and that's the love of God. Today, God wants to correct your crave. He wants to give you a hunger for something more, something more than this world could ever offer you, and that is his love. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If we're seeking after fame and possessions and stuff in this world, we will end up empty. But Jesus said if we seek after hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. When we love what matters, when we love God with all our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled with what really matters. So first we need to correct the crave, and then we need to find God's will for our lives. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. When we find God, we find true love. Let's go back to 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17. Look how John ends this passage. He says, the things of this world, even the world itself, will one day pass away. But he doesn't stop there. In order to wrap it all up and close out this thought, John says this in verse 17. Anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. The, the New International Version says, but anyone who does the will of God will live forever. Once we have corrected the crave, we have put God first in our life over all the things of the world, we need to make sure that we are seeking after God's will in our lives and living out our lives in a way that is pleasing to him.
I want us to let the words from verse 17 sink in for a moment. Everything in this world, everything in this world will one day pass away. Think about that. Everything. If we are not careful, we can allow the things of this world, the values that completely conflict with the Word of God, to slip into our lives. And because these values go against the Word of God, at some point, they are on their way to a collision course with those values found in the Word of God. And if we let down our guard, if we start down that slippery slope of, well, it's not really that big of a sin, if and when we allow that to happen, we can find ourselves seeking after and loving those things more than loving what matters. In Luke 21, 33, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. That means all of these things, all of the things that we are attracted to in the world, the values of today's society, all the things that we would allow to start to cover up or even drown out what matters will someday be gone. And when they're gone, the only thing that will remain sure is God's word. When that happens, if you are not standing on the word of God, you will fall. We cannot find God's favor and God's will in any of those things. We can only find what we're seeking after, and we can only find what will make us happy and what will give us peace and contentment when we seek after him with all of our heart. And when we get to a place in him where we truly love what matters. Well, pastor, I thought you were going to end this with like this happy sermon. This is a happy sermon. Because it tells us what to do to get to where we need to be in our walk with Christ. There is nothing more important. All throughout the Bible, God shows us how to live as he desires us to live. The things we are to say, the way we are to act, and, and much of it comes down to the love that we are to show to those around us. The world's love, what we find out in the world would be, at best, would be called conditional. Conditional love basically means that you're only showing love to those who you believe deserve it. That would be, for instance, those who are in your family, maybe those who agree with you on certain topics, those people who you would consider friends. But as, if as soon as one of those people wrongs you or says something rude to you or causes you pain in some way, if at that point you decide they are no longer worthy of your love, that is conditional love. I will love you as long as you do this, 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 and this. And that is the shallow version of love, the kind of love that much of the world abides by. But let me tell you this today. God wants to rewrite the narrative of love. His love is unconditional. Here's how I know it's unconditional. None of us deserve to be loved by God. Romans 3.23, Paul wrote, We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Even with this being true, God decided to show us love, 
to show us grace, to show us mercy. All of those things anyway, because we're his children. You see, God has already made the decision to love you and me. The only question left is this, will we make the decision to love him back? If we say yes to that question, then here's something for us to consider. Loving God and seeking his will is a daily decision. Many people believe once you pray a sinner's prayer and invite Jesus to be king of your heart and your life, you're good to go. While that's a good start, we need to understand that the decision to follow Christ with our lives has to be made every single day. Because every day we will be confronted with innumerable worldly temptations to give our lives to something else. We will be confronted with things that will draw us towards loving the things of the world instead of loving what really matters. John knew we'd be confronted with these things. That's why he wrote what he wrote. Jesus himself knew we would be confronted with these things. But we have been given his word as a guide. So here's a couple of questions that we need to ask ourselves every day. First of all, do the decisions I make align with the word of God? If we can't answer yes to that, we need to start working on our decisions. Do the decisions I make align with the word of God? You say, well, I don't know how to do that. The best way to do that is make sure you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it will certainly help you make better decisions. Secondly, do my actions reflect that I'm a disciple of Christ? You mean all the time? Yeah, all the time. Even on Facebook? Yeah, even on Facebook. I see some stuff on Facebook that people post. I don't comment on it. But it makes you wonder, does that picture there reflect that you're a disciple of Christ? If that picture there doesn't reflect that you're a disciple of Christ, you might want to go up to where those three dots are right there, click on it, and hit delete. Because if, if you put that there, then you didn't go by the first one because the decision to put that there didn't align with the Word of God. We need to make sure we're not going to be a stumbling block to somebody. Are you saying that, that everything I, I do is wrong? No, I'm not saying everything you do is wrong. I'm saying sometimes we just need to be careful that we don't put something out there on Facebook that could cause someone who struggles with something like that to stumble. Paul said, if meat offends my brother, I won't eat meat. I don't think that many became a, a vegetarian. I think it meant it, he won't eat meat in front of his brother because he didn't want to be a stumbling block. And I think we need to second guess or maybe just get better at first guessing 
the stuff we put out there. Does what I put on Facebook reflect that I'm a disciple of Christ? If not, don't put it out there. That wasn't in my notes. It's still true. According to John 3.16, God sent his one and only son to the world to redeem the world. You could say that, that Jesus was sent on a collision course with the world. That'd be a very safe thing to say. His desire, as we see in 2 Peter 3.9, is this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But even with the truth in those words, we so easily go astray and get distracted. The negative and lifeless messages of the world, they're nonstop. They are present everywhere we turn. And again, they're enticing. But I believe we are able to make a conscious decision every day to say no to the things of the world and say yes to the love of God, to say yes to the things of God, to say yes to his will. And if we will do that, we will be able to live fruitful and abundant lives like Jesus came to bring us. Jesus said in John 10.10 10, that he came so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. He didn't come and die so that we could live like the world. If we will invest in the word, if we will invest in fellowship, in Christ-centered teaching, in prayer, etc., then as we read in Romans 12.2, we will be able to renew our minds with the things of the kingdom of God. When you find that the world's value collide with the kingdom's value in your life, will you make the decision to choose the path of Christ? Far too many people don't. What are some minor adjustments you can make in your life now that will have major consequences a year or two or five or ten years down the road? Daily time in the Word of God. We've talked about that. Faithful attendance and participation in group Bible study. Volunteering at church. Why? Because it gives you fellowship with other believers. Spending time with a mentor. Increasing accountability with others. Cutting off destructive habits and tendencies. And the list could go on and on and on. The point is this. There is space for you in the kingdom of God. Will you make space for the kingdom in you? Nope, I'm full up. That's what God is speaking to us through this whole sermon series. There is space for you in the kingdom of God. Are we willing to empty ourselves of the things that shouldn't be there and make space for the kingdom in us. The world is full of things we can love at the expense of our relationship with Jesus. Success, money, status, accomplishments can become things that we, have, we value above everything else. 
But we need, in fact, we must make a conscious decision to love what matters most by giving of our time, our energy, and our affection to Jesus. We have to come to a place in our walk with Christ where we truly choose to love what matters over the things of the world that are at best temporary. Choosing to love Jesus over everything else, choosing to love what matters, is a decision that we have to make every day, not just one time when we get saved, not once a year, but every day we have to choose to love what matters. So what is your choice today? Will you choose the things of this world that are temporary? Or will you choose the only solid foundation on which we can build our lives, and that is the Word of God? Today, would you make a decision to leave the things of the world behind and stand firm on the Word of God? Be transformed into what God wants you to be. Get the truth, find value in it, treasure it, and then because you realize its value, share it with someone else. And then when you have done all of those things, will you then choose to love what matters? The world's values are not all of a sudden going to circle back and start to line up with the Word of God. They've been headed this way for a long time. They're going to keep going that way. And they're going to go further and further away from what the Word of God says. This path that we walk in living for God is a straight path. And the only way that we will stay on that path is by standing firm on the Word of God, like we talked about in week one, is by being transformed, like we talked about in week two, is by getting truth and finding value in it to a point that we would hold on to it and not let go of it. But then find the value in it so much that we would share it with someone else. The choice is up to us. Would you bow your heads? Lord, today... We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. Lord, we thank you for speaking to us today, speaking to our hearts. But Lord, today I ask that you, you would help us to receive this today, realizing that just hearing it's not enough. Help us to look and see if there are things that we need to change. And if there are things that we need to remove from our lives, things we need to change, actions that we need to alter, behaviors that we need to adjust. 
If those things are there, Lord, I ask that you would just give us the strength to do those things. Help us to conform to your will. Help us to be what you want us to be. Not just hearers of the word, Lord, but doers of the word. Lord, help us to truly love what really matters. No matter where we are in our walk with you, draw us closer to you. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. As we sing this morning, if you would like to come and pray, if you need prayer, if you want to just come and say, Lord, I, I more than ever before, make sure that my life is where it needs to be. I want to make sure that I'm loving what matters. If you want to come pray, these altars are open. Someone will meet you here. Let's see.